Well, thank you very much. It's a, a delight to be here, and I, I thank Father and, and Brandon Wanless for the very kind invitation. And it's always just a delight to be in this uh, beautiful space, one of the, the most beautiful in the Archdiocese, and I wish more people knew about it. We're going to speak about St. Joseph's model for parents tonight, and I, I want to begin with a, a caveat which is really coming out of my own weakness or, or biases in my struggle to relate to Joseph and the Holy Family. And it's really twofold. Whenever I, t- growing up, you know, I think about Joseph and Mary and Jesus and the Holy Family, I kind of had this vision of that's the unlivable family. There's no way I can be like you, family. They always seem to be like the the friends that you love to hate, you know? It's like, golly, how did you become so perfect? The people that you say, can I be like you? Or make it real simple. Can I just give you my kids so you can raise my kids for me? Just make it simple and easy, huh? The other bias is that uh, so often in art, uh, especially in the West, in the contemporary world, uh, Joseph is depicted, whether it's in holy cards or paintings or what have you, Joseph always uh, tends to come off as Joseph the Saccharin. You know, there's that lily of purity, which we forget was achieved and received, but he wasn't born with. Joseph, oh, the wise grandpa. Joseph, the sometimes slightly effeminate sage. But in fact, Joseph was a carpenter. Joseph was a builder. One way to translate the Greek word is a stonemason. He worked outside in the harsh climate, in the weather. I'm going to look for Joseph in the tool corral at Home Depot. I want to see Joseph saying, check out this Milwaukee roto hammer. It's got a lot of torque, you know. I'm going to look for Joseph. I grew up in Pittsburgh. So for me, a devout Catholic man like Joseph is a guy who's just at home assisting here at the altar, you know, at St. Stan's Church with Father Burkowski. And then they go out for a shot and a beer afterwards. That's the kind of guy I think about when I think of Joseph. So with those caveats in mind, What I'd like to do is actually not go into sort of the the pious devotional literature, but just go back into the scripture and uh, look at some of the characteristics of Joseph in that scriptural Jewish milieu of that time and use a few insights as well of Pope Francis from his letter, A Father's Heart, that recently was issued on Joseph. So I think I've got like uh, 12 quick features or characteristics of Joseph. First, Joseph's vocation, his married, husband, father, is a vocation that is received from his father in heaven. Joseph didn't just slide into marriage. Now he certainly, I imagine, was motivated like many, any man would be. The beauty of that woman the desire to be united with her, his intuition for family. But Joseph entered the vocation of marriage knowing he had been chosen by God for reasons he didn't even really understand 
and in the face of his own weakness. Just think about this. No woman or man is adequate to the task of marriage. And if we knew what was coming down the pike when we said, before we said yes, few of us would in fact marry. But Joseph knew because he came up against, he came up against Mary's vow of virginity. Uh, Okay. And then Mary being with child. You're kidding me. And then the angel speaks to him. There's an annunciation to Joseph. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the Holy Spirit has conceived this child in her as part of the Father's plan to save his people from their sins. Joseph had to go into this, knowing when he heard that, that he is chosen for this, and he's not doing anything like sliding into marriage, like so many of us unfortunately do. Every marriage, every vocation, singleness, single for the Lord, consecrated, every vocation is part of God's plan for salvation. And so Joseph said yes to it, knowing I am a beloved son or a daughter. I am chosen to marry to cooperate with the father as a husband or a wife as it may be, a father or a mother, for God's purposes which are beyond me and beyond us. So that's the first feature. Second characteristic of Joseph and that marriage with Mary. This marriage is directed by the Holy Spirit. And it required obedient docility to the Holy Spirit. Notice the Annunciation to Joseph and how much the Holy Spirit. Go back and just be great Lenten exercise. Read again Matthew 1 and 2 and Luke 1 and 2, those chapters. And just notice how much of it is orchestrated by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks to him, directs him, counsels him, charges him. And what that does for Joseph then, docile to the Spirit, is it gives him what I I would call a bold audacity to actually say, as the scripture says, the angel spoke and Joseph immediately took Mary and his his wife and the child and fled to Egypt, or immediately returned. He didn't hem and haw. He was bold because he was obedient and docile. He trusted the Holy Spirit spoke, the Holy Spirit knows, so I can in fact act with quiet confidence, bold audacity, rooted in the freedom of that obedience. Third feature, this is a, a marriage, Joseph is a man in a marriage, lived according to the law of Moses. That means requiring the fundamentals of righteousness, the justice observing the prescripts of the ritual and the moral law. Think of the presentation in the temple. Think of the the weekly worship. Think of the practices of almsgiving, prayer, and fasting that any any half-pious, decent Jew would have performed. Following the pattern of worship in the temple, including the investment in raising the child Jesus according to the law, which required time, and energy spent on the child as a prime responsibility. Even apart from that story of finding Jesus in the temple when he was 12, remember that? Even apart from that, think, 
How did Jesus learn his catechism, so to speak? He had to learn it like anybody else. He didn't, he didn't emerge from the womb with mature human understanding. Someone had to teach him. Who taught him? Joseph. That's the father's responsibility. A father who prepared him then for that public life. A father who prepared him for those threshold experiences according to the law of Moses. And we know today, all the stats tell us, that for children whose mothers are observant of the law, worshiping God weekly, daily, as frequently as possible, if their mothers of children do it, children have kind of a 50-50 chance of, in fact, doing it themselves. But if the father does it, one of the, one of the, one of the stats shows a 97% chance those children will, in fact, follow. It hinges on the father and Joseph observed and followed according to the law of Moses. Fourth feature, Joseph and Mary have a unity of purpose. They had to talk. And you just imagine, they had a lot to talk about. Hey, I had a dream last night. Oh, kidding, tell me about it. Well... And it's not just talking about the daily stuff. I know some of you are married, and it's, it's not like it was the, the, the daily carpool discussions, how are we going to get Jesus to soccer, how are we going to get him to his bar mitzvah buddies, you know. I, I remember when the kids were little, it seemed like every day we were planning the invasion of Normandy, just trying to figure out where are we going to go, how are we going to make this figure out. It requires communication and a unity of purpose. But even more, what are we about as a family. What's the aim of this entire undertaking? And therefore, we want to have fidelity to this and to keep that purpose in the forefront. One of the habits that my wife and I fell into to begin with, but then we decided purposely to keep, is since the day of our marriage, 26-plus years ago, Every day, twice a day, morning and evening, we repeat to each other part of our wedding vows. I will love you and honor you all the days of my life. To keep that purpose, heart and center, right there. And that requires a communication. Fifth feature. We, we get this vision, this picture of Jesus, and, or Joseph and Mary with Jesus, their, their, their life presumed a lively sense of the kingdom, the kingdom of God, and the horizon of salvation history. Remember, it's reported they were looking for the consolation of Israel, like Simeon in the temple. Magnificat, that Mary prays, that's, the, that's from the, the scripture. That's the song of praise of the scripture, describing God's saving work. That's in their bones. They're living that with that expectation. And therefore, this marriage and this vocation, this parenting requires the theological virtue of hope, that God is faithful and he will fulfill his promises. And that hope then frees them for risk, inculcates joy, and orients them to God's saving acts, 
which they constantly recall, constantly remember. Just like here is doing the stations. A lot of doing the stations of the cross is to remember, remember what Jesus has done. And so constantly in the yearly Passover festival, recounting what God has done in the past, and therefore he will fulfill his promises to us. We look for the Messiah. Golly, he's right here. So they lived with that horizon of the kingdom just part and parcel of their life. Sixth feature, Jesus then is at the center. Jesus is very much at the center of this family. He's Emmanuel, God with us. This is God's plan, and he's working right here. And so we need only to listen, receive, and obey. But this too is learned. I mean, again, Joseph didn't just kind of show up one day totally obedient. He had to learn that. Mary had to learn that. Think about the episode of the finding in the temple. And, and you, you got to read this. Like, these, these are Jewish parents, right? And they've lost their kid for three days. Who loses? Now it's an amber alert. Now it'd be like they'd be sued. You know, now it'd be... Imagine that. They lose their kid for three days. They find him in the temple. And what is... It's voiced by Mary. What does Mary say? Jesus, what were you thinking? Did you ever say that to your kids? What were you thinking? Didn't you realize you're driving us nuts? She speaks out of anxiety. And Jesus then has to train his own parents. And and beautiful words, beautiful words. You're seeking me. I'm at the center. How is it that you sought me, is what it says in the scripture. Splendid, you're seeking me. I'm at the center. But did you not realize that I must be in my Father's house? So be with me and enter my communion with the Father. Jesus is training them to be obedient to him at the center of the family. Seventh feature, and that means that Joseph and Mary model for us being internally grounded in contemplation and receptivity. This is a vocation that requires the habit of prayer by both husband and wife. Lectio Divina on the scriptures, the word of God, contemplation, the liturgical worship. And the scripture testifies that Mary pondered, treasured, kept, abided with these things in her heart. And there's Joseph in silent contemplation. We presume number eight as well, that there's This is a marriage of vocation that demanded chaste marital relations, requiring continence, that is, abstinence as necessary and even as agreed upon beyond the necessary. So there's Joseph and Mary, and the scripture says he had no relations with her. And we've got to think about this as not Joseph, the old guy, you know, who's like the impotent Joseph. I like this painting up here you got up here on the side. At least Joseph's got some biceps, huh? 
This is Joseph the virile. This is Joseph with testosterone. This is Joseph with desire, who in a gift, in gift, gives himself in chaste relations to Mary. And he had to learn, he had to suffer the self-gift, the intimacy that sexual relations only point toward, both between the spouses and between him and Mary and the Father. And therefore, the ninth feature, Joseph is a model because he recognizes and embraces with grace suffering when it comes. And suffering will come. And it's even just the simple suffering of, and those of you who have had little kids know this, bringing the kids to church. It's like being nibbled by ducks, and it drives you nuts. And you think, was I even at Mass? Drives you nuts. It's a type of suffering. But then the suffering of physically, the suffering of illness, the suffering of difficult relationships, the suffering of being misunderstood, There's Joseph and Mary in the circumstances of an odd pregnancy, of being misunderstood, the circumstances of that birth, so very, very difficult, the flight to Egypt in the middle of the night, saying yes to God's plan may very well make some of life's circumstances more difficult. And that hardest of sufferings for parents, I think, is to see their children make stupid or wrong choices, or for a spouse to see the other make stupid and wrong choices, and yet to suffer in hope, because in the suffering is the intimacy with Jesus. And so Joseph understood that this vocation introduced a new and more intense level of spiritual warfare requiring fortitude and constant recourse to the Father. And a tenth feature tied to suffering is that Joseph embraced work with joy, but even the drudgery And remember, one of those gifts of the wise men was myrrh, the bitterness that betokens the hardship of work itself. One of the gifts is the hardship of work. But yet the joy of work, which is a participation in God's plan. And as Pope Francis points out, that God himself in becoming man did not disdain work. And therefore, Joseph becomes creatively courageous in finding shelter in in Bethlehem and taking them into exile, fleeing and moving to a new town, starting up again. Okay, that's what we'll do, whatever it takes. Tackling those difficult circumstances. I'd love to see Joseph with a roll of duct tape what would that guy do, you know? Taking it all in and making it work. Eleventh feature, Joseph, exercise rightful authority. 
Remember, after they find Jesus in the temple, Scripture testifies that Jesus was obedient to them. But Joseph is able to exercise rightful authority because he himself lives under authority. It's the classic virtue of piety or pietas, or eusebia in the Greek, that the Jews and the Romans both held up as a prime virtue, being under a proper father, and built the fatherland, the country, certainly the civil authorities, but most of all, the Father God. Being under his authority enables me to exercise in my right sphere my authority. Which includes, for Joseph and for any father, the particular task which then Mary takes up of a love that frees, letting the child go to discern and do God's will. This is a threshold moment for every parent to be able to let their child go, detached from their own vision, purified of their false ideals. I know it was a shock to me one day when I realized, you know, I think I'm more in love with the vision of well-ordered children than I am in love with my children. And I need to repent and then let my children go. You just imagine Mary, and Jesus is about 30, and people ask, oh, what's your son do? Oh, my son, Jesus, he lives in the basement, he's 30 years old, what are you going to do, you know? But then to let him go, and I can't live my child's life for him or her, and if when I free them, having done my duty, exercise my authority, I then exercise it by allowing them to make the hard choices, And new vistas then open up. And Joseph had to have the humble admission that my child is more perfect than I am. And that's tough for a man to admit. But Joseph also knew, as I said right at the beginning, that he is chosen. He knows he's chosen. He knows that my father knows my weakness. And he's chosen me in spite of, even because of my weakness, and therefore I can do my duty and trust in hope in him. And finally, the last characteristic of Joseph that I just marvel at, his silence before the mystery. I've recounted Joseph knowing that he has been chosen for this vocation. Joseph being secondly directed by the Holy Spirit. Joseph as a model for parents by living according to the law of Moses, investing then in the child. Fourth, the unity of purpose between husband and wife. Fifth, presuming that lively sense of the kingdom and living for the hope of the age to come. Sixth, holding Jesus at the center. Seven, being eternally grounded in contemplation and the receptivity of prayer. Eight, chaste marital relations. Nine, embracing suffering with grace when it comes. Ten, embracing the dignity and even the drudgery of work. And then eleven, exercising rightful authority. But all of it then is captured in Joseph's silence before the mystery. The mystery of the other, his spouse, the mystery of Mary, the woman, the mystery of Mary, 
the new Eve, the mystery of his own role as father, the mystery of my role as father of these children, these grandchildren, the mystery of God working out his plan, breaking in, the mystery of my own inadequacy, my poverty, that I cannot provide, especially in the face of suffering and death, which I discovered early on in our first son, died after two days. He died in my arms. And the hardest thing was not being able to do anything except the mystery of being chosen to stand there, to remain, to abide, to stay with, to receive what God is giving, to obey, and then simply to give myself in self-gift in so far as I can, knowing that God will bring forth the fruit. Silent Joseph before the mystery. And it's in the silence that God speaks. It's in the silence that Joseph received the word, the Logos, the word incarnate, into his arms. And so Joseph is the prudent man who chooses well, chooses the bestest best, the goodest good in all circumstances, the man whom God increases. For that's the name of Joseph, the meaning. He will increase because God is at work in him. May it be so with us. St. Joseph, pray for us. Amen and thank you.